How do you align the nurturing you put out in your marketing with the intent of your user? Do they have buying intent? Do they just want the content? This is the topic of the discussion that Joel Acevedo and I have. Today, he works at Divi. He's a life cycle email nurturing uh, marketing manager over there. And uh, we talk through this process because it's so often to just put out lots of content without under without matching it to the intent of our buyer. So let's fix that. Take it a listen. I know you'll love it. Okay, everybody. Welcome out to the Marketing to Impact podcast. I've got Joel here who works at Divi. Um, Joel, how do you pronounce your last name? I, I don't want to... Yeah, Acevedo. Okay, Acevedo. Good. I those kinds of things. A lot of people call me Ace Vito. Some people say avocado. <laughs> I'm sure. You, yeah, I I have like one of the most common names like that was ever generated, and all like like Michael Roberts. There's probably a million of us alone in the United States, and um, so I don't get that too often. But like nobody mispronounces my name. But I can imagine with those that like most people haven't seen around a little bit more. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've got Joel from Divi. He does uh, email and lifecycle marketing over at Divi. Um, and uh, really excited to talk with you, Joel, today. Um, you'd, you'd, you'd mentioned some some stuff around nurturing um, since and some success you'd seen there. So to start out, let's do this. Let's g- give a quick intro. Um, yeah. And like what you do, what what Divi's all about, just so that we have like the context. I think a couple of things too that would help be helpful are like um, uh, a little bit about the product, the life cycle of your sale, like the the sales life cycle, um, and uh, and then we'll get into the, get in, get into like the the nurturing stuff. So yeah, sounds good. I um yeah. So currently I'm at Divi. I've been here about three three months. So I'm pretty new. And I mean, whatever I say here doesn't necessarily represent the, the views of the organization in general, but I've been doing uh, marketing automation, email nurturing, some amount of lifecycle nurturing and, and, you know, a lot of digital marketing in, in some other ways, different teams um, for the last 10 years or so. And awesome. yeah, actually, I've also done a little bit of even side hustles, like, you know, started a website selling wall decals, uh, like early in like 2010. And a few years ago, I started a, a just like an e-commerce website where I sell um, Google Docs resume templates, and that's also done well as well. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, okay, so <clears throat> tell yeah. So you've been doing uh, the automation stuff you said for a while now. So talk about like, and the point of this, I think, to give people perspectives on like specific experiences right, that you've been able to either do within your own work or teams, and then the lessons that come out of it. So um, what's some of the stuff that you've done that you feel like, wow, that was really impactful. And, you know, these are some lessons that we can, we can take out of it. Yeah. So I think the, some of the things that, that I consider most satisfying and impactful, impactful has been around making sure that when you're doing email marketing, lifecycle marketing, that you send the most relevant content. And in order to do that, or to get to that point, relevant, valuable content, uh, marketing people love, in order to get to that point that, um, you know, it kind of gets dicey, like literally have to dice the database segmented um, to get the right people and deliver them the right content at the right cadence, the right timing. Um, and so just create a, a, the best experience you can. 
So, okay. Yeah. How do you, how do you go about figuring that out? Like it's one thing to, I, I mean, segmentation at its core is pretty like the concept is easy, right? You throw in some filters and some kind of, um, software to get, you know, whether like the firmographics you want, or maybe you've got some behavioral based stuff. So what mm -hmm. approach, um, into figuring out what message then is, is right. Yeah. So, I mean, it starts with collaboration. I don't think any one individual in a company understands perfectly, um, the audience, but with a group of individuals, um, talking to salespeople, talking to product marketing, um, you're able to get a better idea of, you know, the, the right, like what your audience or personas, what the right segments should be. Um, and so once you have that information, you can start, um, you know, you have some primary um, segmentation. Uh, the, the, the main segments that I, you know, it's really the basics is like, you're trying to segment to know people like what funnel stage they're in. Um, geography, you want to market to people a little bit different based on geography or, or comply with um, email marketing laws based on geography. Um, also verticals or, or buying centers or GTMs. Um, and potentially want to throw in there also like their, how engaged people are. And that, will that last one, it's kind of like one of the most important ones for email marketers. You certainly don't want to be emailing a group of people that are not engaged or interested for, for a very long period of time. Um, if you're starting to lose them, um, not only are you losing them, but you're also losing your deliverability and inbox placement as well. What, what, um, what, what is for you, like the, what are the limits that you're using right now then for, um, engagement as far as like keeping that clean? Yeah. So, to be like the basic ones ha have to do with um, clicks, visits the website. Um, there's a, some sort of activity with sales. Uh, and, and then you just start looking down like where, when, whether they added it to the database. Um, so it, when they were created, that's some amount of engagement. And, and so the more you can find the better, but some of those are easier to get in Marketo, um, the platform that I use, uh, the, I don't use opens because opens is very, very, very deceiving. Even clicks is deceiving, but you can get web visits. Um, and then that becomes a lot clearer of like who's clicking your emails um, and, and whatnot. So, yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So for the time frame then that you are putting on those folks, like I'm assuming that in order to keep, you know, your deliverability healthy, that you've got a window of like, okay, if they haven't interacted, whatever your threshold is within um, I don't know, four months, six months, what, mm -hmm. what, what's your preference as far as like time? Yeah. So at the companies I've been at, um, they wanted to remain pretty aggressive. So we, we like about 15 months, that's pretty aggressive, especially, um, and, and by the way, I say aggressive, but it really depends on the market. So we're in B2B sales, um, uh, both all, let's see, almost all the companies. Yeah. All the companies that I can remember working for, all of them are B2B. So the life cycle is really long. Um, you know, it takes sometimes around 15 months. So we're not too concerned about at least what in some industries might be aggressive 15 months in other places be 12. And, and sure enough, like the cleaner or the cleaner, the database will be 
the the shorter term you can have there is like hey their last engagement was in the last three months now the next thing i say like hey that's kind of like a cutoff but you then have to you play with the cadence of how often you send emails so sure. for example somebody uh, the your i create segments of people who have been um who have engaged with with our brand in the last three months and they receive emails on a let's say on a weekly basis, where, whereas people from four to nine months or to a year get bi-weekly emails and, and so forth. Yeah, 15, 15 months. Now, if I'm understanding, that's 15 months with like no activity before you Yeah, before with their creation or behavior date, yeah. Oh, and got it. Again, wow. that's, that's what I mean. It's quite, okay, yeah, it's actually, that's aggressive. That's where I started. Well, that's, well, so that's, well, that's really interesting. I've talked, so um, I've talked with a couple of people and I do at Cloud App. Ours is really tight. So um, now, <clears throat> so for, um, depending on the communication, I will cut off whom I send it to uh, between four and six months. So mm -hmm. if I haven't had activity, um, within that time frame of any kind, um, and I do use opens and clicks for that. So, um, I think one may, I, to your point, maybe about like the business context is really important because in my case, um, so we're freemium SaaS, And so, and typically the way our business model works is like we get people in and then they'll start on really teeny teams super quickly. Yeah. So, so the, the, the sales cycle is like, like two weeks, right? Like they get in there mm -hmm. initial new deal. It's like five, we just want five users or just trying it out. They don't have to go through all the, the, the procurement stuff. So yeah. that, that first deal is really quick. And then there's engagement stuff further down the road. Um, but since that deal, that sales cycle is so tight and fast early on, I've yeah. my um, I've cut my window to like that four month mark. I think for newsletter I'll do, yeah. but then like any sort of product triggers and stuff, I'll cut it at four just because like if, if they signed up and they're not touching my stuff within four months, mm -hmm. me, I feel like that's enough to tell me that like they're not going to do it. And so, right. so the price of, to your point about deliverability for me, it's enough to cut off as opposed yep. to, um, because, because we have, we're, we're product led. So rather than like, maybe, um, you know, it would be interesting in, in your case with like Workfront and Divi, like there's probably a lot more nurturing involved as opposed to mm -hmm. leg, like triggers and stuff to try and get people to, to engage with. To engage yeah. With. Yeah, with the sales cycle being so long, um, you know, somebody can actually be with an open opportunity for a year. Yeah. Right. And so, so certainly there's just helpful information that we have for them, like ebooks and guides and case studies and, and things that will probably still help add value to that sales process and, and help close the deal um, and get the person actually educated about the product before they actually become a customer as well. So it is certainly a, a matter of like, you have to segment your database and make sure that you're sending the right content to the right people. And you have to work with the cadence as well. Like certainly the people that have not engaged in quite some time, they don't receive emails 
nearly as frequently as somebody who just started, um, was added to our database recently or has engaged with our brand recently. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Okay, so so with those long sales cycles too, and like the um, more led nurture, um, you, you mentioned, you know, you're not using emails, opens and clicks as much as like engagement metrics. So, which I think kind of leads into the idea of how your how how you're essentially assuming or evaluating the intent of the person you're, you're sending that piece to, right? So, like, how are you how are you identifying um, like how are you identifying somebody that might have more buying intent as opposed to somebody who mm-hmm. like on your brand and got into your flows because they were just interested in like the the content that you guys were serving up. Yeah, so the easiest way to to identify buying intent um, when it comes to email and nurturing, since a lot of it is content-based, like email to a certain degree, I mean, it could be seen as an extension of a, of a blog um, in that we keep sending you content. Now, sure enough, if you take certain behaviors, we'll, we'll say, hey, you're, you're kind of like engaging with more content and we might send you an email that is what we would call mid-funnel content, where it's say, hey, request a demo or see this information. Like, it, you know, the, the asset might be a buyer's guide or information on the product itself. Um, and if they engage with that, they likely go what we call marketing qualified or lead MQL. Once they go MQL, um, that's an indicator um, that there's a little bit more interest. That still doesn't mean that there's buying intent, but if like, if you have, again, your, if your sales funnel, marketing sales funnel is, you know, well put together, you would be able to say, well, this person was um, telequalified um, by the SDR team and they actually, you know, they say they're ready to have conversations. So you know that there's more buying intent there. So again, B2B companies, like to a certain degree, we're just really, we're depending on those conversations to happen between humans where the, you know, where, the, where our, our lead, our prospect customer is the one that tells us that they're now more ready to engage in conversations with us. And so then we, we shift our conversation as well in, in the way we nurture. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you have, do you have specific examples, um, that come to mind where you, you and the team just feel like you nailed it, like you nailed that kind of piece of the, like the delivery? Yeah. So you see when, when you say specific, I think, was there one single email or single event? And, And for me, like the biggest, the bigger successes have had to do with, tests, like running tests that give us insight into what to do next. And, and also I, you know, something that I, I struggle with is like celebrating small wins. I'm always thinking of what's the next thing that yeah. I can implement. So yeah. it's always hard to say like, this was it, this was like, you know, this was the pivotal, the, the pivotal thing in my life or in this, in this program, but AB testing, like and aggregating, creating AB tests, like that are significant, uh, like statistically significant where you know the winner and then you can start actually implementing those changes and optimizing future future emails. Um, and so some of those tests uh, that per- were performed were actually in fact taking the database and di- slicing it or, or segmenting it based on behavior. 
or last last behavior or, or in creation, like using those two, like, you know, the people that were engaged and were added to the database in the first three months and, and then bucket the next one, um, four to six months and six months to 12 months, and then look at who engages more. And that that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but having that data help us or, or give us guidance in how we're going to change our cadences and how we're going to try to interact with, with people. Um, some of the other like specific, if I'm, if I can get specific, it was, it's really, I would just have to say it's iterative A-B testing. Um, either, either you're doing a revolutionary test where you're saying, let me take this completely different email, like email A, email B are drastically different. It's not often recommended, but if you're doing like a brand update or something like that, you have to say, well, at least I need to validate that this new style or new brand guide and email template, at least we need to validate that it doesn't decrease performance, right? Um, and so that's kind of what I call a revolutionary test where it's like, it's not necessarily, it's not one element, it's not button colors, right? It's not yeah. subject line length. Um, so you have a few of those, but then once you, you get on one template, uh, one look, um, then it's really just fine tuning like the length uh, of your e the subject lines, um, how much, how prominent or how big the images are. Um, if you have a lot of copy or shorter copy, usually shorter copy wins, bigger images win, bigger, clearer buttons win, shorter CTAs, um, you know, also win. Uh, you also don't want them to be too vague, things like that. But I'm sorry, I don't have like a one specific like, hey, this email no. is the one that killed it. Well, that's that's probably the 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 unfortunate right answer with like a lot of the marketing work, right? Like um, product teams would probably say the same way. There's like so much of the work that's iterative, and then not not only that, but like, but like you can complete a test and then market changes like the changes yeah. it can happen so quickly that if you were to like run the same test again, like you might get a different, like a different result. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've ran, I've ran into that a couple of times with, um, with some like discount campaigns and stuff and like webinar invites where like, I've positioned it a certain way and like one line seems to like do better and I'm like, okay. And then I just have this gut feeling. I'm like, I'm going to test that again, actually, because, because maybe it didn't quite reach like statistical significance. Maybe I didn't have like the volume for it or something. So I do it again. And then like the results flip and you're like, well, mm -hmm. you know what? like, <laughs> I'm glad I tested that again because um, just the things can change. Things can change. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, one tip I, I would give on that is that very often, like more often than not, whenever I reach statistical significance and and trusted it, um, it's because I I aggregated results from multiple emails. So, and and what I mean by aggregating means like A and B were the same except for you know the button, but I didn't just do it with one email. I did it with five different designs or 10 different designs, right? Different emails. And again, it, they were all A's and B's had the same thing. And so then we yeah. aggregate them and we can say, oh, it's not just isolated. Like the result wasn't just email three. 
um, this actually, when you aggregate the data, you can then say, okay, definitely D is better, where um, regardless of which email you send it, like you apply that to. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Do you do you um, do you give yourself that uh, level of um, how do I word this? Um, do you force yourself to give like require that much like proof from different campaigns for almost every test? Like, do you do you have the same test running in multiple emails each time? Because if you do, then like um, I think the advantage clearly is that you can be more confident and mm -hmm. this advantage would be probably that you're moving a little slower, right? Because mm -hmm. everything, everything's kind of pulled up into like the same test and maybe you don't mm -hmm. have the flexibility to, to run something else or. Yeah. Well, oftentimes these are not like, they're not email blasts. When you're doing nurtures, you have already in, in your series of emails or in your stream, you have five or six emails and you can apply this to all six emails and just, um, you know, and provided you have a large, you know, database um, like you would in larger companies, uh, you know, you'll, you'll reach statistical significance, um, you know, in a few weeks. But certainly like when you have a, like when you're in startup mentality and, and actually that is more the mentality in the, the culture that, that we have at Divity of Divi at fast growth. Um, yeah. Certainly there, it's just going to be a little different where it's not going to take me, I'm not going to take 10 different emails and AB test them in order to implement the thing. Cause that would take probably like too long for yeah. how fast and how fast we are looking to grow and how fast we're looking to pivot on things. Yeah. Yeah. So where's a, where, how would you, how would you suggest people like figure out the balance of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you run one email and you're not reaching statistical significance, sometimes, I mean, it's nothing to be discouraged about because sometimes this, it just means that you don't have a winner, right? Like simply that does, that didn't move the needle. It didn't make that much of an impact. Um, and sometimes when something doesn't make that much of an impact and B, it's just a little better, we think, oh, well, that's, that's certainly better. No, it, it really, it tells us it didn't make an impact. So you can have like a personal preference or, or the company has a preference. They're like, hey, we want blue buttons going on in the future. And you, you did a couple tests and blue buttons don't win, but the company and their brand is going with blue. So, yeah. so you, you go with that. Because um, again, you at least verified that it doesn't perform worse. Yeah. Um, but how do you get started? The, the fact is, I, I, that part is an art. It's not, it's not a science. So you just have to start with your first test and see how much information you're getting and how close things are, and then try your second test. And you just have to keep going. Um, there's like a bigger test or, or optimization that is happening. And it's you developing the discipline of A-B testing and yeah. then figuring out how much you need to test. But if you don't get started, um, or if you give up too soon, you're not gonna kind of get over the hump of, of knowing how much you need to do in order to validate an idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that discipline and testing, I think is tough. I know I certainly don't have it yet. I'm in like full blown startup mode too. So we're like moving like crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's yeah. lots of moving crazy fast. So like, 
Um, from a discipline side, I know I, I lack it and we've got tests going on, um, <clears throat> but um, definitely not as sophisticated and maybe as um, uh, concrete as yeah. some would like just because of the, the nature of the beast. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't discourage everyone from testing less sometimes. Like we can be a little bit too like you don't have to always be optimizing everything. Yeah. Um, that also can cripple you. So there's a there's a pace, there's a culture, and and so you kind of have to you know stay on that that pace and, and don't overdo it. Okay, so yeah, maybe we'll we'll end on this thought then. How what makes what brings you to like how do you how do you figure out when you are supposed to test like how do you identify where you want to test something and you know like there's a need as opposed to like you know this shotgun thing where you're just testing everything and at the end of the day like if you end up because like for example if you're doing that you could run into a situation this is i'm actually just talking about me so this is me here but uh, <laughs> i get testing a lot and then like nine out of my ten tests are insignificant right and there ends up being this trend where I'm putting a bunch of effort into tests that mm -hmm. are significant. And it's like, crap, I'm not even really like doing any work. So how, how do you go about figuring out, I think we should test something here? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So I mean, by the, the gut reaction to your question would be once you're actually doing things that are repeatable before then, if you're doing things that are not yet much repeatable, it's not like you're going to be able to leverage much those learnings from the first one because the second one is so different. Um, in, in nurturing, there's a lot more repetition because you add people, let's say at the top of the stream and they start going down. Um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do A-B tests and other things, but you certainly get a lot more value when there's repetition or that this is a, you know, we have a, you know, this type of landing page and we keep sending people to it, there's repetition. And when, so I said, once you're doing things that are repeatable, that's one. Um, the other thing I would say is, um, yeah, it, it's what I was saying before. It's like, you have to, you have to think about what it is that you should be A-B testing. And I don't think there's a rule. So once you're doing things, you consider, should I be A-B testing this? Should I be trying to optimize this thing or should I be trying to get it done? Um, and sometimes getting it done, like if, if AB testing or, or optimizing something, you're thinking about that before you're, you're getting something out there, like putting up your website or pages, if that's preventing you from actually getting stuff done, then that's, that's an indicator that you, we might be overthinking it or splitting hairs. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I hope that helps. No, that's great. <laughs> that's a big actually, answer. What, what, that, what that makes me think of actually is that um, uh, I think in my own testing, I have a tendency to end up focusing just on like the um, metrics that, I mean, we, so you can test against several things, right? You can test against open rates, quick rates, whatever. Um, at the end of the day, though, there's, there's one more metric which whatever that is that you're deciding that you're probably testing for, right? So let's say you're, I mean, we've talked about button colors. So if you're testing the color of a button, 
the whole point of testing the color of the button is, you know, I guess manifest in that somebody clicks it more, right? Yeah. But the follow-up to that is that you want them to click it more because what, mm -hmm. right? And if, if you, let's say you have these two different buttons and one gets people to let, let's say a webinar registration page at a higher rate, but then at the we webinar registration page, neither can, like it didn't mm -hmm. the intent at all. Mm -hmm. Like that's maybe where it can break down or not, not really break down, but just understanding like it didn't sure within the context of the email itself, there was something statistically mm -hmm. significant in the context yep. of your business as a whole. There was nothing significant that happened because of yeah. that. Yeah. So, so that's the thing of certainly uh, you have deciding metrics, right? You say, hey, this is the metric that I'm looking to optimize for, but I always try to get all of them. Um, and I don't decide based on all of them, but if I won more opens or more clicks, but I lost the other thing by such a drastic amount, then like the other thing, meaning like um, conversions on the landing page um, or how many of those go on to uh, MQL and TQL and QSO and all that. Yep. If I don't, it, you know, if we're losing too far down, then, you know, it's, it's really not that helpful. So you can come up with a subject line that gets a lot of opens, but then uh, you might suffer on your click to open rate. So you have to just, even though you have a deciding metric, you want to make sure that it's not impacting the other ones too adversely. That's for sure. Um, if it, ad it affects it adversely just a little bit, then you can say, well, this is a winner, but we may have to adjust our messaging over here to kind of catch and, and kind of follow through on what caused them to come into the page. Um, but yeah, you do have to like segment the, the process a bit, um, divide it up so that you can like win at the different touch points. But, but yeah, if, if a big win here costs you uh, later on, it's costing you too much, then, then you really want to look into like what costs you to win. It's likely, you know, your subject line said free iPads and, and you got a lot of clicks that, yeah, yeah. and you're not, and you're not actually giving away iPads and that might be a problem. Yeah. Um, but going back to your question before about like, how do you know how much to test? I just thought of one way of speaking about it is, uh, probably keeping in mind, like, I hope I'm saying this right, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. um, if you're like, you're just trying to survive, like you're still just trying to get food and, and safety, I think it's the first two, something like that. If you're still there, then it's about, you know, getting your, getting your calories, getting, um, you know, staying alive. Yeah. Certainly, you're not optimizing much. You can get picky about the types of foods you eat after you are actually, you know, eating well, things are going well. You're not like trying to just stay alive. Yeah, that man, that's a great point. Yeah, like just self-aware of where you're at, you know, in your role in the team, the company, everything, so that you don't don't overcomplicate yeah. or undercomplicate it. Um, right wherever you're at that's awesome yeah this has been great i think i think there's been a lot of really good lessons out of the testing stuff that we've gone through here um that i think people can take and you know hopefully uh 
implement in you know the work that they're doing with the testing. So hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, Joel's awesome. You should find him on LinkedIn and connect with him. Tell him you listen to the podcast and um, hope this helps everybody here. And uh, we'll we'll see you next time.